born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. So anyway, take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts and chapter 4. The book of Acts and chapter 4. Just a few little thoughts to bring you up to date. Betty and I left here after our board meeting on Sunday afternoon. And we were going to boogie on up there to Georgia. Be, we'd be there by probably 10, 11 o'clock that night. I've done it before, you remember. I used to come down here and I always did that. So I've done it about 10, 15 times before. Uh, but for some reason or other, we, um, uh, it didn't happen the same way this time. We got to a place called Ashbury in Georgia, about a 85 miles south of Macon. And... Betty had been driving, so I was going to drive. So we pulled into uh, McDonald's. And I was going to get me a hot cup of coffee and get back on the road. Well, the radiator on our car sets down a little bit low. So she pulled in nice and slow. But it hit the curb, so she backed up a little bit. And then I saw steam. It had pushed the radiator up into the fan and in the words, it messed it up. We weren't going anywhere. So she said, you know you're going to have to find out the reason why all of this happened. So you might as well start passing out tracts and witnessing to everybody so we can get it done quickly and get on up the road. Because <laughs> she wants to see her grandkids. So we started just passing out tracts and we had to find a way to get the car fixed. It's on a Sunday night. It's a Mercedes. Nobody has a part, a radiator. You know, they don't carry them around in their pockets. You know, nobody has one. So anyway, we uh, went to this one store and tried to find out, you know, if there's a service station around anywhere. And he says, uh, well, there's a name of a man up here that works on cars. I said, all right, give it to me. So he gave me the number. We called him. And he says, where are you? I says, at McDonald's. He said, I'll be there in about 15 minutes. So in about 45 minutes, he got there. When he got there and he looked at everything, he says, you know, we don't have a radiator in this town to fit this car. Uh-huh. He said, we'll have to order one. I said, well, he's maybe Tallahassee, Macon, Atlanta, wherever we can find one. Now, this guy did not have an office, and he did not have a service station. Have you ever heard of a shade tree mechanic? This was him. I said, well, where are you going to work on this car? He says, right here. Or if you take it over there, he says, I'll work on it over there. And uh, I said, okay. 
I didn't have much options. And Betty's wanting to go to see the grandkids. Well, I did too. It'd be a lot more fun than what I'm going through right now. Anyway, he ordered a part. We found out one. We called Ishmael, and he knew where we'd gotten one before. And so, anyway, they couldn't get it till Monday at 5 o'clock. So this is Sunday night. I mean, when you only got five days, and you're going to spend a day and a half on the road, and you haven't got there yet, it makes it all kind of, you know, questionable about, you know, is this the smartest decision we've ever made? But anyway... I started witnessing to the guy because I knew that I've got to get this done so that I can get the car fixed faster. So I started witnessing to him, and I asked him, I said, sir, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. He's only about 35 years old, so you ought to know, man. I said, where are you going to go when you die? He said, I don't know. I said, well, if you could know, wouldn't you like to know? I don't know. I said, well, let me tell you, in case you ever want to know. So I explained the gospel to him, made it crystal clear. Even I understood it. When I got through, I asked him, I says, um, does that make sense? He says, eh, eh, I don't know. I said, would you trust Christ as your Savior? I don't, I don't know. So I asked him when I got through, where are you going to go when you die? He said, I don't know. I couldn't get through to this guy. Well, it wasn't long before they got the part in, and so it's now Sunday afternoon. So Sunday afternoon, Betty is in the motel room. And so I says, if we go ahead and take a bath now, we don't have to take one when we get there, and that way we'll already be clean. So because we're going to get there late, we know it's going to be late. So she takes a nice bath. She gets ready to get out of the tub, and she put her elbow up on it, and it slipped on her, and she smashes against her ribs. I heard the splash when she went back down into the water. So I jumped up and I ran in there. And I says, "Are you all right? Are you hurt?" And she's like in a state of shock. She don't know if she's hurt or not. I says, are you okay? Now, half of the water was still up there in the top of the tub. <laughs> and she's, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. She, she didn't know how hurt she was. And I thought, you, you could have broke a rib. So anyway, she finishing up. And I'm down there with the guys. And he has his cousin come. His cousin, they were raised together, so... They were buddy buddies and all the years, and they did some of the same kind of work, whatever that was. And uh, he was a mechanic, too. And I, thought, I got these two guys who live way out in the country working on my car. But anyway, we got the part, and they started putting it in. So while he's working on it, I asked the, his cousin. I says, do you know where you're going to go when you die? He says, I don't know. I said, if you could know, would you like to know? He said, yeah. So anyway, I went ahead and explained the gospel to him, and I got through. I says, if it makes sense, will you right now, will you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? He says, yes, I will. I says, you're a lot smarter than your cousin. <laughs> He's standing there looking at me. And so we took a break, and I asked him. I says, what, what, what's your problem? And I found out, he, he found out a couple years ago that a 300-pound man raped his 7-year-old daughter. And he found out about it, and he wanted to kill the guy. He says, I, I tracked him down in my car. He says, and I got him, and I drug him. He said, I hit him several times with a pipe over his head. He says, and the police got there, and he said, I wanted to kill that guy so bad for what he did to my daughter. And he says, the cops got him and whisked him away. And he says, I have been so full of bitterness and hatred. 
And um, he says, because of my attitude, he says, the way I am, he says, I lost my wife. He says, everything is going wrong. And so he said, and it's not my wife's fault. He says, it's all my fault. He says, I've lost, you know, so much. And here I'm talking to a, a bitter man. Now, externally before, he was smiling and everything was cool. But see, there was something deep underneath. And when I explained the gospel to him and they got him to finally listen, and I said, Christ paid for all of your sins. So he listened pretty good this time. But anyway, I got through, and so I says, um, I, uh, do you take a, a card? He says, no, I don't take cards. He says, the only cash. I says, this is Sunday night. I don't have that much cash on me. He says, an ATM right over there. So we went over to the ATM, and standing outside the ATM, I was getting ready to do it, and I, I paid him. And I looked at him, and I says, do you understand what I've said? He said, yes, I do. I says, does it make sense? He said, yes, it does. I said, will you trust Christ right now as your Savior? He said, yes, I will. I says, where are you going to go when you die? He said, I'm going to heaven. I said, how do you know? And I had, he had the money, that he said, paid in full. Paid in full, because I just paid him in full. And I had used it as a little illustration, but he, he paid in full. So anyway, I thought that was great. So we got in the car, hoping that we would make it, and it wouldn't leak, and nothing happened. The fan wasn't going to, you know. So anyway, on the way up there, we're getting in town about midnight into Athens. And Betty says, yeah, I probably need to go by the, the emergency room and get checked because tomorrow I'm going to have the grandkids and I don't want them sitting in a waiting room all day long. I said, then we'll go by there tonight. So we went by there tonight. So we had to call my daughter and tell them why we're going to be a little late. It didn't take her long. She almost met us at the hospital. So she comes in there and, of course, she got my granddaughter, got her out of bed. So they showed up at the hospital. So we're all sitting there and they examined Betty and x-rays and find out she didn't have anything broken, just badly bruised and very sore. And so the next day was very, very sore. But she's doing fine now. But whenever, uh, if you give her a hug, make it a gentle one. Women only. And, uh, <laughs> hey, 52 years, I'm still jealous. But anyway, she's, uh, she's, she's doing fine and God's been good to us. So we thank the Lord for having uh, another uneventful trip. But while I was up there, my son, Eddie, uh, he's been here and he's sung a couple times. And I uh, asked him if he'd go with me. So he went with me and we drove around a little bit and went to a bank. And thing. So I got to talk to this one guy. And so I'm sitting there talking to this guy and he's got tattoos all over his body. And he's got a few earrings here and there and a few staples. <laughs> and uh, his hair was a little colored, but he... He wasn't a kid. He was an adult man. And um, I talked to him a little bit, and my son looks at me and says, Daddy's crazy. He said, Dad, he is a nut. And uh, I, I, I agree with him. But I talked to him a little bit more, and, and he got to tell me about how that he almost lost his leg. And he pulled up his pant leg, and he let me see his leg where he had metal on the sides of his leg. I said, what happened to you? He says, when I was in the military... He said, I like the loss of because of gangrene and all kind of stuff. Anyone? He says, and I, they even had to put me in the uh, psychiatric ward 
He says, I guess most people would think I'm crazy. I looked at my son. And I says, this is to no fault, no fault of your own. I says, you, you were serving our country, and you suffered the consequences of it. I says, I want to thank you for doing that. And I says, can I ask you a question? I says, where would you have gone if you'd have died? And he smiled, and he turned away. He says, after all the people I've killed, he says, it's not heaven. And I said, well, let me explain something to you. So he finally gave me the time of day, and I explained the gospel to him, how the Lord paid for all the sins of the world, even paid for his, and, and it didn't matter what he's done, that God loves him, and all he had to do was just believe that Jesus Christ died and paid for his sins. And if he would trust him, God would save him and give him eternal life. And so when I got to him, I said, does that make sense? He said, yes, it does. I says, if you trust Christ right now as your Savior, where would you go when you die? He says, I'm going to heaven. I says, how do you know? He says, because Christ paid for my sins. So, yeah, I've had a, a few things that happens that you don't like. But, boy, is God good. And, you know, God's timing is so important for where he allows us to go and where he puts us. I remember when I got up there, my grandson, he asked me a question. He says, how mad did you get? I says, when? Whenever you messed up the car. He said, how mad did you get? I said, I didn't get mad. What did you say to Betty? I didn't say anything to Betty, only that we got to get it fixed. He said, you didn't get mad. I said, no, I didn't get mad. He says, I would have. So I would have got mad. I talked to the person on a little marriage counseling while I was there, too. I said, well, how you doing? We're sitting at a place getting a bite to eat together. He says, this has been a bad day. Bad day. I said, what's wrong? This is early in the morning. He said, it didn't start out well. He said, I went to the truck to start the motor. Got it started. It don't run good. And I started to walk away, go back to the house, and all the doors locked on it. He says, nobody touched it. Nobody touched the vehicle. It just locked. And when it locked, I couldn't get in. My keys are in there, and the thing's running. And so he said, I was furious. So I couldn't get in because they had that little metal thing around the top of the glass. And he says, so I had to get that out of there. So I was ripping it and off, and he was mad. And he showed me he had cut his, almost down into bone. Just cut his hand all up because of that metal and trying to get it off there. So he had hurt his hand. He smashed that. He finally got in. He got it all. And he, so he goes into the house, and he talks to his wife, and now he's mad at her. She hadn't done anything. But he's mad at her because of everything that's going wrong. And so I talked to him for a while about depression. I told him the story of the skunk. And uh, he says, boy, that's me. I don't know if I've told you the story of the skunk, but I need to one day. But anyway, I uh, had a good talk with him. He says, I need, I need to go home and talk to my wife. I, I need to go apologize to my wife. He says, I, I was mean. He says, I was ugly. He said, it was all my fault. I love it when a guy's... Man enough to admit, it's my fault. Most men say it's always her fault. But anyway, that's just a, a little bit of the story about my uneventful week. Take your Bible and look there in the book of Acts. There's somebody else who was just walking along, and he decided to go to the temple one day, and lo and behold, there was a man that had been crippled for 40 years, and Peter John looked at him and 
he held out his hand, wanting some alms, and they said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he did. Started jumping around and praising the Lord. And, and everybody was having a good time except the, the rulers and the chief priests and the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And so things were not going too good for them. And all Peter did was just do what Peter could do. You see, serving the Lord just doing what you can where you are at the time, you know. So if you'll notice here in chapter 4, I want you to see a verse. In verse 12, where it says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Why is this so important? Because, you see, Peter is now standing in front of this Jerusalem council. As you said up here in verse uh, 5, and it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and the elders and the scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. This is the same crowd that had interviewed Jesus Christ and found him guilty and condemned him and had him crucified. And what did Peter do while this was going on? He was trying to warm himself at a fire. And he had gotten away from the other apostles. And he denied the Lord three times. I don't know this man. I don't know this man. Well, the third time he heard the cock crow and he wept bitterly. And then after that he says, I'm, I'm going fishing. And the rest of the disciples did too. And then Jesus comes walking on the, the water, and they see him and scared him half to death. And next thing you know, Jesus is giving everybody some fish sandwiches. And he asked Peter, says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yeah. He says, Peter, do you love me? You, you know I do. Peter, do you really love me? You know I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You see, the Lord wants more than anything else in the world is do you love me? Do you love me? You know when you'll start witnessing? When you really love him. You see, it's hard to do something for somebody if you don't really love them or care about them or respect them. And if you do, then you, you want to please them. You just want to find a way to please them. And so Peter now has this chance to redeem himself. He's standing in front of the same crowd before he was scared to death and ran for his life. What happened to this meat mile? individual that was scared half to death. Something has happened. And what had happened was Jesus came back from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, it doesn't matter if men can kill you, if God can raise you. Why fear death? There is no reason to fear death. You don't have to fear what man can do to you because you know that the God you know and the God you serve can raise you from the dead. Now, God had also told him in the last chapter of the Gospel of John that some are going to carry you where thou would have not want to go, signifying by what kind of a death he was going to die. So he knew he was going to live for a while, and so let her rip, because he believed what God said. And they were amazed at the boldness of Peter and John. Because they knew these men had been with Jesus. You know, I've seen in just uh, a few months 
six months or more, maybe in a year, some of these kids that are coming to ranch that Peter Amato has the opportunity of teaching and training. He's taught them how to do the, the wallet illustration and, and gone out with them and taught them how to talk to people and open up conversations and to draw the net. Have you noticed their boldness? Boldness is because of confidence. They're not as afraid as they used to be. Oh, they still probably have a little fear, but they can overcome it. When I listened to them the other day on the radio, I was so proud of those kids. What they said and how they said it, preachers can't do it any better. And they're just kids, teenagers. But you see, they have a powerful message, a wonderful message that the world needs to hear. You have no idea how many people could have been listening to that. And by the time they got through, you say, you know, if those kids can do it, I can do it. Or some youth leader said, man, I wish I had some kids like that. Or some pastor that said, man, I'd give anything to have a youth director like that. You ain't going nowhere. But there's a certain boldness that comes because of the confidence. Now, now look what he says up here. In verse 7, and when they had sent them in the midst, they asked, by what power, by what name have you done this? Well, who gave you the authority? Because, see, they were the authority. Nobody did anything without their approval. And who is this dumb fisherman, this ignorant fisherman? Who does he think he is? And so it says here in verse 8, Then Peter, being scared to death, no, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and look at these next two words, boy, he hits him right between the eyes, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him. Now, they did not believe in the resurrection. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 23 talks about the Pharisees did not believe in the resurrection. In Acts chapter 23 and verse 8, it talks about the Pharisees did not believe in the spirits or in the angels. So you see, these rulers, which is a part of the Sanhedrin, they did not like the idea, and that's why it says there in verse 2 of chapter uh, 4, being grieved. Grieved about what? Because there's somebody teaching something that we don't teach and we don't believe, and we don't want these people filling Jerusalem with their doctrine. See there in verse 2, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Not the resurrection of the dead, because everybody could have. But from the dead means there's still others that are dead, and there is going to be a resurrection in the future. But from the dead, Jesus came forth. And if Jesus hadn't have said, Lazarus, come forth, if he'd have just said, come forth, probably all of them would have got out of the grave. But they did not like the teaching of the resurrection. Because resurrection means that there has to be a higher power. There has to be an authority. There has to be something beyond the reach of man. To take a man that's dead and in the grave for three days and have him come back from the dead. That's why it's a powerful message. You see, there is no other religious leader in all the world that's ever died for their people. They still have their graves today. 
Mohammed did not die for the religion of Islam. He is not even a prophet. The Quran is not a holy book or a divine book. It's a war manual. You say, are you afraid to say that? Does it sound like it? And so he says here in verse 10, Be it known unto you, whom ye crucified, God raised from the dead. And this is in verse 11, is the stone which set it not of you builders. And that's mentioned in several places in the Old Testament. Because here, if you want to build this nation, the kingdom, the stone that you need, the foundation stone is Christ. You have rejected the foundation upon which this nation is to be built. And he says, you rejected him. God is the one that raised him from the dead. The very one you rejected is the one God accepted and raised him up. And this is the name by which there is no other name whereby we must be saved. So look what he's saying to these religious leaders. He said, there is no other name. There is no other name. Means no other power, no other religion, no other set of beliefs. There is no competition. There isn't anything or any religion of any kind whereby a man can be saved except through Christ. Jesus made the statement. He says, All those who want to come unto the Father must come through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. You don't go through Christ, you don't go to heaven. I've had people say, well, you're trying to tell me that if I don't accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to go to hell. Yes. Yes. What about all those other religions? If they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're lost. Eternally lost. Well, they're just as sincere in their belief. Sincerity has nothing to do with it. You can be just as sincerely wrong as you can be sincerely right. You go to the medicine cabinet to get you two aspirins, and by mistake, you get some arsenic. Well, it doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it do. One will cure your headache, that's for sure. But look what he says here in verse 12. This is an awesome verse. But now here you have two ignorant fishermen that's standing up and they're preaching this message and they're saying, neither is there salvation in any other because they didn't like the name Jesus Christ. They don't like the idea that he came back from the dead and they're preaching the resurrection. So the apostle Peter is just standing like he should have stood when Christ was being crucified. But the resurrection makes a difference. Now I know. Wouldn't it be great if you could have been there and saw that? Christ coming back from the dead or watched him when he took off up into the sky. That's why I wrote in that little poem that I have there. And you soared up through the clouds to glory. And one day you'll return just for me. Now he might come back for you, but he's coming for me. He just happens to take you along with him. Okay, so maybe it's not totally that way. Look at verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned, uneducated, ignorant men, they marveled, took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Can people tell that you have been with the Lord? Since you have trusted Christ as your Savior, are you different than you used to be? I can tell you this. I'm not the same man I used to be. 
I trust the Lord when I was 18 years old, but I can guarantee you this, 51 years later, I'm not the same guy. The Lord has changed my life. He changed the way that I think. It's changed the way that I live. It's changed me. Now, the change didn't save me. That's when I trusted Christ as my Savior. God gave me a new birth. I was born into God's family. And since then, I've kind of like fell in love with the Lord. And I, I want the world to know that I love the Lord. Have you ever heard that faith without works is dead? Or have you ever read James chapter 2? Does your faith produce good works? Some teach that if you don't serve the Lord, you're not saved. Is that true or false? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book, or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.